Man, so neat to, to be able to witness those things, to be able to be a part of a church that cares about the next generation so much. Would you bow with me right now in a word of prayer? Father, we come to you today thanking you for the opportunity we have to join in fellowship, to join in worship, to lift uh, your name, to lift your truth, to hear from your word, to commit it to heart, Lord. We praise you for this. It's not common all over the globe that this is possible, and so uh, we just set aside a moment right now to be thankful for that. Thankful for your faithfulness through the years, thankful for your love, thankful for your uh, willingness so many years ago to send your son to die on the cross so that we could understand what it means to be a part of your family. Lord, we pray specifically this morning that globally people would come to understand that as well. And for the ministries that are growing out of Grace Community Church, we pray for the team that's headed to Romania uh, tomorrow. We pray for them as they set out to care for um, the underprivileged, the kids who uh, really need to know about you. We pray for Sherry and Emma and Clara as they seek to um, share the gospel with those that they come in contact with. We also pray for Brittany Stover, who's going to be headed to Washington, D.C. We pray for her ministry and the college kids that she plans to work with and share your truth with and spread the gospel. We also praise you, Lord, that our own Jess Lapp is home right now, that she uh, made it safely here to Lancaster, that um, we might have an opportunity to come alongside of her as she becomes commissioned as a missionary uh, approved by the EC Church in a few short weeks. We're excited to come alongside of her uh, and partner with her in those ways, Lord. We pray that those opportunities to spread the gospel continue both globally and locally. Um, as we have many local partners, I pray uh, that we understand the importance of spreading that truth everywhere we go. God, I pray for Paul right now with his opportunity to share from your word. We affirm your, your word as fully true, as the gospel, as inerrant, infallible. Lord, we love your word and we thank you for it. And we thank you for the opportunity we have right now to learn from it. It's a gift and a treasure, and we're excited to hear about that right now. We pray together all these things in the powerful and consistent name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you or a device that has a Bible app on them, please turn to Ephesians 4 with me. We're going to be reading Ephesians 4, 17 to 24. This is from the English Standard Version. It'll be on the screens beside and behind me, but if you have a Bible, please open it up. Ephesians 4, verses 17 to 24. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And it is encouraging to... Uh be a part of a church that's sending out the next generation. Amen? Amen. Well, I got a question to ask you this morning. Have you ever asked yourself, what should I wear to church? You probably asked this morning, what should I wear to church? 
You know, certainly you've heard it said that you should dress for success. So what I'm saying is that if you're going to like the golf course or you're going to a fancy restaurant or you're going to work or you're going for a job interview or you go to a particular school, like dressing for success might be a good suggestion. If you have a particular event you're going to attend, when I was 21 years old, I had the personal privilege of going to a private dinner with the President of the United States, who was the President at that time, and friends of mine that found out I was going to this dinner, they said, what are you going to wear? I said, I showed them. They said, you can't wear that to go see the President. I said, well, that's all I got. So they took me to Macy's, you know, and they bought me my very first suit. So exciting. And then they said, what are you going to wear as your shoes. And I showed them, you can't wear that. So they bought me a pair of Bostonian Phoenixes. I don't know why I still remember the name of the shoe and what kind it was, but that's what they bought me. Bostonian Phoenix. They said, well, what kind of tie are you going to wear? I said, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how to tie a tie. I don't own a tie. I'll borrow one. They said, no, 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 no. We're going to buy you a tie. They bought me a red tie. I still own that tie to this day. Why? Why do we do those things? Because certain people in certain environments expect certain clothing. Matter of fact, if you aren't wearing certain apparel in certain places, they won't even let you in. But what about church? What about church? About four or five years ago, there was an Instagram page that was started called Preachers and Sneakers. It is a page that tracks famous pastors and what they wear on their platforms and actually shows how much they spend on their clothing. Pastors today are wearing $1,500 Jordan sneakers, $3,600 Gucci jackets as they preach to people about being humble in Christ. Now, I get that. I can understand the appeal to that. Why? Because if you dress for success, people say, well, he looks successful, so he must be doing it right. And yet there is a unique problem in this country as the wealth gap continues to get larger and larger and larger. And there is an increased temptation. Do we try to dress like we're successful for church? I wasn't sure what to do. So I asked Google. Well, you don't know. Ask Google. What do you wear to church? Strange question, because I've been coming to church for like 12 years. Didn't know what Google knew. Google said this. If you want to know how to dress for church, something modest and comfortable should be fine. Generally, solid colored tops are fine. And even something with a pattern should be okay. There you go. There you go. Don't need Gucci wear solid colored shirts would it shock you though this morning if i said to you how you dress does matter to god but not on the outside god cares about how you're going to dress on the inside First Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord, say this with me, the Lord looks on the heart. 
He looks on the heart. Isaiah the prophet captures this same mentality in Isaiah 61, 10, when he says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me, listen to this, with garments of salvation. Draw near. He has covered me with with the robe of righteousness. When Paul the apostle turned to the New Testament church and they asked the question, what should we wear to church? You know what he said to them? Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, clothe yourself as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, with compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Would it shock you this morning if I said God does care how you dress, but not on the outside? He cares how you dress on the inside. Does his salvation cover you? Do you cloak yourself in his righteousness? Is your daily attire humility? Do you dress in kindness? If meekness was a coat and patience was its pattern, would you put that on? Would you wear that? You see, God doesn't care if you wear Gucci or Gap. He doesn't care if you shop at Macy's or on the Michigan Mile. He doesn't care if you shop at Walmart or Wawa. Actually, I think he does care if you go to Wawa. I mean, it's it's another sermon for another day. What he cares about is what's happening on the inside. How are you dressing your heart? You know, this summer we began a sermon series in Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. And this book, this letter, it helps us to learn how to take what we know and live it out. In Ephesians, Paul demonstrates how our doctrine shapes our duty, how our beliefs impact our behavior. In this letter, Paul makes the point that we should walk worthy for Christ because we have been made worthy in Christ. And why? Why should we be concerned about our duty and our behavior and how we present in Christ? Why? Because of what Paul says here in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 24. Here Paul tells us what not to wear, but more importantly, he draws a hard line between how the world dresses on the outside and how the believer should dress on the inside. Notice what he says in verses 17 to 19. Now this I say, and I testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. You notice how the world dresses Man has always dressed this way. The reason is, is that humans are sinfully self-centered. Man wants to please self. He is centered on self, to comfort self, to rely on self, to fulfill self, to forgive self, to exalt self, to love self. And yet Paul would challenge us to take off of the ourselves the old way that we were and put on a new way. And you would say, well, Paul, why should I do that? Why should I take off this old wretched wardrobe and exchange it for new clothes in Christ? And Paul would say that wretched wardrobe that you used to wear, it's aimless, it's sightless, and it's shameless. This is what he says in verses 17 to 19 when he talks about the fact that that old self, that old way of putting on clothes 
was aimless. Look what he says in verse 17 when he opens up by saying, I testify. That's another way of saying I declare. It carries the tone with it, though, I urge. I urge you in the Lord, Paul says. In the Lord is the idea that Paul carries with it the authority of God himself. This isn't Paul's opinion, not his suggestion of how you should dress. This is coming from the Lord. And he urges his audience to walk away from the old man. It's here in the letter of Ephesians that we see the climax of Paul's writings. This is the mountain peak. This is where the readers can go no further without making a decision. Here at this verse 17, the table is set, the die is cast, the fork is in the road. Which path will they pursue? Continue to dress like the old self in hardness and darkness, deadness and a reckless lifestyle, or put on a new wardrobe. He makes this appeal with a simple but strange request there in verse 17, doesn't he? He tells Gentiles not to look like Gentiles. It's really interesting. He tells them, don't look like Gentiles. Now, Gentiles, he's not talking about people per se. He's talking about an ideology here. Gentile describes the old way of thinking and living. You could easily supplicate there in verse 17, American. And it would fit the context perfectly. Why? Because he's saying there is an American way to live and to dress and act. And it's all about the external. And it's all about looking good. And it's all about presenting well. And God would say, I don't care about any of that. I want your heart. I want your heart. But what about this old man, this old way of thinking is so bad? It is here in verse 17 that Paul says the Gentile way of thinking is aimless, meaning it's wandering, it's drifting, it's purposelessness. And he, he does that by saying the futility in, of their minds. That word futile, by the way, is really interesting. It's only used about four times in the New Testament, three times outside of this verse. And, and it's the only time in the New Testament where futile in thinking, futile in minds, are actually connected. It is here that Paul says their minds, their way of thinking is futile. Now you can say that someone's job might be futile. You can say that a war might be futile. But to say that someone's way of thinking is futile, that's awfully bold, isn't it? To walk up to somebody and say, you know what? The way that you think is meaningless and pointless and aimless versus the way that Jesus thinks is the opposite. But consider for a moment why Paul says this. Why does he say that the futility is in their thinking? He says this because if you think about what our minds were originally created for, your mind and my mind was originally designed and created by God to try to comprehend God's revelation on this earth. But because of the fall and because of sin, we as people, as individuals, are no longer to attain that goal. Our minds are clouded with sin. Hence, Paul says, the futility of our minds conveys the idea that we are no longer able to perceive the revelation of God for which it was designed. So think about this. A person can see the sun and the moon and the stars. They can know in their mind that the earth rotates around the sun at a perfect distance. Any close and what? We would burn any further away and we would freeze. They know that the earth rotates around. It spins around on a perfect axis. And they can know all these things. And you know what the feudal mind would say? Isn't evolution amazing? And I would go, really? You know all that and you think that evolution did all this? 
that is not some creator, the feudal mind can look at an unborn child in a mother's womb and see it with a scan, alive, fingers, toes, hands, feet, kicking around. And in that moment, a feudal mind would not see an unborn creation. Let's think about this. The feudal mind can open up the word of God, read the word of God, hear the best preaching in the world, and nothing, nothing changes. The futility of their minds affects the way they think about God, but also how they relate to God. It was Barth who said about this particular phrase, with one single phrase, Paul describes the majority of the inhabitants of the Greco-Roman world. And I would say with one phrase, Paul not only describes the majority of the inhabitants of the Greco-Roman world, he describes most people in America. Most people think feudal thoughts. Most people think feudal thoughts. So Paul says the Gentile isn't just aimless in his efforts to understand God. He is also sightless. Sightless because he can't see the real problem that is in front of them. The other day we had my daughter's birthday party. And when you have an eight-year-old birthday party, you have to have a pinata. Right? You just have to have a pinata. And so we have this pinata and it's there. And, and, and we, we you know, take the kids. And there's all different rages. Fuck you know, five to eight, basically. You know, you start with the little kids and you go to the bigger kids. Why? Because the bigger kids, like, I mean, they're going to obliterate this thing. So you start with the little ones. And you take that pinata and you put it right in front of them, right? And you blindfold the kids. But you put the pinata right in front because you're not mean and you're not evil. And then you put a sharp, you know, object in their hands that's real heavy. And you say, just swing away, right? And it, most of the time, the kids miss the pinata. I never understood it. I mean, just because we put the blindfold, suddenly they're whacking around, you know. Instead of what's right in front of them, they miss what's right in front of them. That's what Paul's point here is in verse 18. They're sightless. God could be standing right in front of them, and they'd still miss him. They'd still miss him. Look what he says. They are darkened in their understanding. The, the Gentile mind is dark because the Gentile mind isn't in the light meaning they can't see, they're sightless. They're like driving on a foggy night, and, and we can drift through life without God being our guide. You see, because sin has covered over our eyes, sin has separated us from God and from being able to understand him, we are darkened in our understanding. And if we continue to dress like Gentiles in the way that we think, we will continue to wear a coat of sin that will lead us toward aimlessness, sightlessness, and eventually shamelessness. That's his point in verse 19. Notice what he says here in verse 19. They, are, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Friends, the heart that becomes hardened affects the eyes, and the eyes become dull. You might say that you've been around people that have a stone-cold heart. They can take without remorse. They can kill without guilt. They can lie without shame. And that is why Paul goes on to say that the Gentile mind isn't just aimless or sightless. It is shameless. Here in these verses, 17 and 19, Paul is describing the downward spiral of sin. And verse 19 is the bottom of the barrel. It is not just their life in a moment. This is their entire life summed up. 
It was Rick Warren who once said, without a purpose, life is motion without meaning, activity without direction, and events without reason. This is Paul's point. The, the, the feudal mind, the Gentile mind, they can now do whatever they want. They feel no shame, no remorse, which is why Paul says they're calloused. You know what calloused means? It means that you've gone beyond the point of pain, like dead skin on your hands or on your feet. They no longer feel, and so they practice everything and anything. And you notice how Paul uses triads in his letter. Oftentimes he'll talk about faith, hope, and love. The callous person, he uses another triad that's famous in his writing to describe the callousness of their hearts, sensuality, greed, and impurity. These three words are found in the wardrobe of the shameless person, and they highlight the heart of that person and how it's become callous beyond the point of feeling. They could abuse a child. They could take advantage of others, manipulate markets, destroy life, and they feel nothing. But friends, that's not how Jesus taught us to dress. He said as Christians who want to follow him, we have to take off the old man and put on the new. And so after you read those verses, don't you feel like you need to go take a shower? You know, it's like you walk through a certain section of town or you go to the beach for the day and you come off the beach and you're really crispy and you're like, I need to go take a shower. I read verses 17 and 19, I'm thinking, I need to go take a shower. And then the temptation is when you read a verse, like, a section of scripture like that, is to say in your mind, okay, I don't want to do those things and I don't want to say those things. But if you, if you think like that, you're missing Paul's point. His point is not to gear us away from people's bad actions so that somehow on the outside we look good because we're not doing those things. No, Paul's point is to address the heart of the believer. To say, at your heart, shouldn't you dress and look more like Christ? Stop trying to avoid bad behavior and start thinking about the badness in your heart. Are you willing to address your heart? And so in verses 20 to 24, Paul tells us what to wear, but on our heart. He's not worried about the outside, because if you dress the heart, the outside will take care of itself. And so notice what he says here. He says, number one, we need to make a choice daily to take off the old self. Look at verse 22. He says, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. You know, the old self is the old sinful self. Paul isn't talking about a 108-year-old that lives in your body, although some of you are a lot older than you look, you know. He's talking about the sin that has been around since Adam and Eve. That sin is prevalent in all of us. And Paul is saying, shed that from yourself. Take that off and put on something new. Why would you want to take off the old man? Well, because he's deceiving you. He's deceptively deceiving you. He is promising you a pot of gold and he'll only deliver you a handful of sand. A wise man was talking to a boy and said, there are two wolves always fighting inside me. One is filled with anger, hate, jealousy, shame, and lies. The other is filled with love and joy, truth and peace. This battle rages inside of you and of all men. The boy thought for a moment and asked, well, which wolf will win? And the old man answered, 
the one you choose to feed. You can choose daily to take off the old self by not feeding the old self. Consider what you listen to. Consider what you watch. Consider what you look at when no one else is around, what you keep hidden in your closet, in your cabin, in your car, that you continue to go back to and back to and back to. And all you're doing is feeding the old self. And Paul would say, take off the old self. Stop feeding it and do something else. You notice what he says in verses 23. He says, make a choice daily to renew your mind. If the mind is futile, Paul says it needs to be renewed. Look what he says. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. In other words, what is coming into your mind is coming out in your life. Your mind needs to be renewed. Your mind needs to hit the reset button. I love what Greg Rochelle says when he says your life is heading in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Where's your life headed today? It is heading in the direction where you think what you think about. Your strongest thoughts drive the, the course of your life. And so Paul would say you need to renew your mindset. So are you happy with the direction your life is headed? Let me ask you a better question. Is Jesus happy with the direction your life is headed? Would Jesus be happy with the thoughts that come through your mind? Or do you need to renew your mind? Romans chapter 12, verse 2, the apostle Paul tells the church in Rome, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your, what? Mind. And so how do you renew the mind? Number one, you do it daily. This isn't just on Sunday, it's also on Monday. This isn't occasionally, this is not how you feel. This is every day we need to daily commit to choosing to renew our minds. And what do you renew your minds in? Word and prayer. You know, it's interesting how the world chooses to renew compared to how God chooses to renew. God will always renew your mind with his word. It's not a walk in the woods. It's with his word. It's with his word that has been from his mouth written down for you. On Friday night, Pastor David told you that we had a charter members dinner, and I love our charter members. I mean, if you know the stories that they share about how much faith they expressed in those early years, it is humbling to be in their presence. These are men and women who truly trusted Jesus. They didn't show up to a building that had bricks and mortar. They showed up with a heart and a compassion for lost people. And it's wonderful to be in their presence. So after the dinner and after the, this time of celebration, I went up and I began to talk to several of them, just thanking them, trying to, to make up the best words I could to say, thank you so much, thank you so much, you know. And it's amazing when you're with our charter members because they don't get all excited about the glitz and the glam. And they don't care what's going on on the outside. They don't care how good of a pastor you are or preacher you are. Many of them care about what is Jesus doing in your life and how is Jesus using you to impact the lives of others. It's amazing to be in their presence. One of them looked me in the eyes, and I kid you not, I'm talking about, you know, isn't this great? You guys did all these things. He looks me in the eyes and goes, are you praying with your wife? That was the question. We're at a charter member banquet celebrating 28 years of Grace Community Church, and the first question of his mouth is, you praying with your wife? Are you reading scripture with your wife? 
It got me thinking about the fact that in Ephesians chapter 5, you know what Paul says to us husbands that are married? He says it is your responsibility to renew your minds daily, but also to be a participant in renewing your spouse. That one day you should present your wife like Christ is going to present his church. This is what it says. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her with the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Renew our minds daily. Renew our minds in the word and prayer. And finally, renew our minds in the gospel. It was Tim Keller who said the key to continual and deeper spiritual renewal and revival is the continual rediscovery of the gospel. That Jesus Christ came, that God had his divine plan. Let's start there. That before of all creation, God decided, you know what? I'm going to save humanity. And Jesus Christ then comes in the midst of our sinfulness, hangs on a cross, dies on that cross, takes upon himself all the shame and the guilt, but the sin that you and I could not shed from ourselves. And instead of him being, you know, instead of, him, instead of us being, you know, broken or for our sin, Christ was done that. And then you know what the cool thing about the salvation, the gospel that Jesus offers? When we stand before God, when breath leaves our lungs... When these eyes close for the very last time, God will look at you and see you as righteous. That we are literally clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and God doesn't look at you as a sinner. He looks at you as someone who is saved by his son. That's the power of the gospel. It reminds us that we've been clothed in Christ. That we were once walking in sin, and God has done this amazing thing, transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And so we not only make a choice to take off the old man, we not only make a choice to daily renew our minds, but we make this third choice, to put on Christ. To put on Christ. Look at verses 20 and 21. Paul writes, But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming you heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in him. Paul says to this church in Ephesians, You heard about Jesus. You were taught in Jesus, and you know the truth is in Jesus. You see, the subject, the teacher, and the environment for the Ephesian church was Jesus. Is the subject, the teacher, and the environment of your life Jesus? Who teaches you? Who do you think about? Who do you surround yourself with? Paul tells the Ephesians what they already should know. And he does the same for us. And yet it's so interesting. Here Paul is telling us that we need to daily take off the old man. Daily renew our minds and daily put on Christ. But what if you're struggling? What if this morning you're sitting here and you're listening to the word of God and you're saying to yourself, but Paul, I'm struggling. I'm struggling to take off the old and put on the new. And I, and I don't just struggle with it once a month. I struggle with it every single day. I might look good on the outside, and I might have a big property, and all things considered, people would say, I'm a success. And yet, if you really opened up your heart to people, they'd say, man, 
you're a mess. What if you're struggling? Then I would say these two things to you. Number one, you need to confront yourself. The temptation when we're a mess is to try to confront other people as opposed to looking inward and saying, I'm going to do some self-confrontation. This is what Paul is trying to get the church to say. Don't examine the world around you. Examine your own heart. Look at your own wardrobe and how you've been dressing inside lately. Is, is Christ coming out or is someone else coming out? Because if someone else is coming out, then the problem isn't other people. The problem is you. When Jesus was with his followers, there was a conversation that broke out one time where they had to dispute on what makes a person defiled. Basically, what makes them not look good. And so there was this big dispute where they came to the conclusion that what makes a person defiled not look good is if they don't wash their hands or their feet. Isn't that interesting? In the first century, that's what they thought didn't look good. Not what you wear, but did you wash your hands and your feet? And Jesus looks at his crowd and looks at his disciples, and this is what he says in Matthew 15. Whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And that defiles a person. I'm going to read that again. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts and murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defiles a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a person. Where does it begin? It doesn't begin with murder and adultery and sexual immorality and theft and false witness. Where does it begin? It begins with your mind, with your heart. That's where the defilement comes. That's where the sin needs to be rooted out. That's where you and I need to stop trying to cover ourselves on the outside looking so good and do a self-examination. A couple years ago, I was pastoring at a church over in York County, and there was a girl in the church who really had a desperate need for a car. And so we as pastors and in the congregation, we got together and we got her a car. About a month later, she calls us. She's stuck on 462. She says, the car broke down. Can you come get me? We said, what do you mean the car broke down? We just got you this car. She goes, I don't know. The car broke down. And so we show up and we get her and we get a tow truck. The tow truck comes, takes it to the garage over there in York County. She's sitting there with the mechanic. The mechanic comes up to her and she, she, he goes, what happened? And she goes, I don't know. I was driving down the road and suddenly I heard a clunk and a clank and then it just stopped. The mechanic goes, well, I know what your problem is. You ran out of oil. And she goes, well, there was this light for the past couple weeks that was blinking inside the car, but I just covered it up because I wasn't sure what to do with it. And we roll our eyes at that, but the reality is, is that's how most of us live our lives. We've got these red flags flashing off. We've got people speaking to us and saying, you know, you think you might have a problem here. And what do we do? We just ignore it. We cover it up, we put the suit jacket on and the slacks and the pants, and we think, oh man, I'm doing really well. I can present well to other people, except for the fact that at some point in your life, the storm is going to come, the problems are going to happen, people are going to start upsetting you, your boss is going to fire you, you know what, you're going to lose your job, you're going to lose your house, one day your kids are going to puke on you before you come to church, your pants are going to split, and people are going to see the real you coming out, and you're not going to be to keep it all inside the 
can. Brooke, would you please open this to demonstrate to people what we're talking about? You can't keep it in the can. And people see it and you see it. And the problem is we don't want to confront ourselves. We want to massage it and make it look better. We want to put some makeup on it and dress it up and say, it's fine. And you know that's a lie. See, the gospel continues to call us to dress ourselves a different way. See, it matters to God how you dress, but on the inside. Friends, do you cloak yourself with righteousness? Is your daily attire humility? Do you know to dress in kindness and meekness and patience? Because if those things aren't coming out, then there's some work you need to do in your own life. So what if I'm struggling? Then I would say this to you. Listen to the voice of God's calling. You know, as human beings, we try to hide who we are and what we are and where we are. We've been doing that from the very beginning. A couple times in this message, I've referred to the fall. The fall is when Adam and Eve first fell into sin. And it's interesting, after they commit the very first sin, this is what the text says. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. You know, Adam and Eve were sinners and they disobeyed God and yet they find themselves naked and what do they decide to do? Let's cover it up with some clothing. Matter of fact, oh God's coming. Let's hide from God. And what they don't realize is when they hide from God, they also hide from one another. And yet the beauty of our God, the mercy of our God, the kindness of our God, one of my favorite verses in all the Bibles, Genesis chapter 3, verse 9. Do you know what it says? I'm going to read it for you. But the Lord God called. That's mercy. It's mercy to know that you don't match up to my standards. Mercy to know that you are a sinner and you have fallen way short of my glorious standard, but I'm still going to call to you. Why? Because I don't care that you've covered up and you've hidden. I care about your heart. Listen to the voice of God's calling. Is God calling to you? Is God speaking to you? Is God reaching out towards you? He is always coming. From Genesis chapter 3 all the way to today, there is a God in the universe. His name is Jesus Christ, and I believe that he has been calling out to all of us, even though we're sinners. And it's because he loves us. The choice you have is to respond to that calling. So will you do it? It amazes me that God doesn't care how you dress on the outside. But he does care about the end. Do you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the worship this morning. 
We thank you, Father, for the worship that we've had in song, in prayer, in your word. And yet, Father, I pray that the worship doesn't stop tomorrow morning. That tomorrow morning we would take time to be in song and prayer with you. Father, thank you so much for the fact that we have your word. Thank you, Lord, that your word helps us to examine ourselves and confront ourselves to stop putting on the show, but to put on Jesus. And so, Lord, would you continue to speak? Father, thank you. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.